0: This is Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today we are going to talk about thinking strategically. You know, if you're a professional speaker, you may have noticed the last two and a half years, the industry got shaken up just a little bit, and the world has changed, As we come into this new normal, we really all need to be thinking more strategically. And today we're gonna dive into what that really means. And today I am joined by a strategy professor from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College who has written two books on strategy and how to think more strategically. Hey, Ron Adner, welcome to Speakernomics. Hey Tom, it's great to be here. So Ron, I'm gonna jump right in. What are your two tips For speakers, when it comes to
1: thinking more strategically. I guess tip number one would be, as you think about how everything has changed, how has that change impacted not just audiences, but also organizers? Hmm. And tip number two? Tip number two is, how do the changes in remote and technology change what you do and how you do it?
0: Oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm really excited to have Ron here. I met him recently and had the opportunity to interview him for another podcast, and we really hit it off. And I dove in to both of his books i've listened to the first one in tape all the way through the second one that has just recently come out uh he has the first chapter available for free on his website i read the whole thing twice and while i was reading it for another thing that i'm working on i kept thinking about the speaking industry so i called him and said would you come back and let me interview you again for the national speakers association podcast so for those of you who don't know Ron Adler. He is, as I said in the introduction, a strategy professor at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College. And if you know me, you know, I always say go big green because my daughter's a sophomore at Dartmouth. Yay, go big green. Uh, But he also is the author of these two incredible books and he consults with companies to help them solve real problems. And guess what, guys? He's also a keynote speaker. He travels around like all of us from the National Speakers Association, working at conferences and companies, teaching people how to think more strategically. And as I said, uh, you can read the first chapter of his book on his website. So we'll talk more about that at the end. So, Ron, let's dive into your first tip. You talked about the fact that speakers need to be aware if they're going to think more strategically, they need to be aware of how all of these changes that we faced in the years of COVID how that's affected their audiences and the organizers and what they expect from them. Well, what do you mean?
1: If you step back, right, this is kind of consistent with all the work that I've done for the last 20 years. Um, it's incredibly helpful to understand not just what it is that you are doing, but for the title of my first book, The Wide Lens, is to think about all the other pieces that surround you as you're trying to create value. If I think about a speaker's job, Traditionally, it was to show up and say something really compelling that people would walk away and ideally in the cocktail hour continue to talk about. And maybe when they got back to wherever home is, put out one or two nuggets and, and share. And that that was a really successful speech, um, whether a conference or operation. And I'd say two, two different things have happened. Like, one is what it is that audience think about as engagement has definitely changed in the last, you know, in the last five years, but the the, the the last two within COVID especially, right? What it is that they're interested in, the length of their attention spans, what it is that they want to share. And by the way, how they share change. that's one. But the second, maybe more subtle thing to think about is all the new changes in the world of conference organizers how it is that they are being measured in their work where we essentially are you know a component in this larger event that they're created and what it is that stickiness of ideas that the power of not a speech but an event how that gets measured today i think all of that has changed and as a speaker You know, you can choose, you know, kind of a narrow lens focus on how do I refine my speech, which means critical. But I think how do I plug in and create value in these adjacent places? I think that matters more than, than it ever has in the past.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, we've gone through some major disruptions and you're right. It began long before the pandemic, but it got fast forwarded during that time. So in your work, some of the stuff that you talk about is the difference between just in, in business in general, not the speaking industry, but in business in general, you know, the difference between sort of classic disruption that we've seen throughout time. We've seen it in the automobile industry. We've seen it in a lot of areas and what you call ecosystem disruption. So let's talk about what that means and let's relate it to speakers.
1: Let me let me step back and kind of put on a strategy professor hat. When we think about change, um, we tend to focus on change in how things are done. Like right? so, technological change. We think about disruption. You know, there's like you know a classic example was floppy disk drives versus hard disk drives, and those spinning disk drives versus the solid state stores that we have. Or you think about discount airlines kind of undermining the full service airlines. Or you, you think about Phoenix University. Competing with you know large branded universities, all those were examples of a new entrant trying to do the old job in a new way. And you know historically that's been a really big challenge for incumbents to think about how do you respond, when do you respond, etc. And I I would put all that under the heading of classic disruption, classic substitution the idea that I introduced in this new book, winning the right game is in some ways the title begins to highlight that, that there's, it's not just about how you do the work, but the game itself is changing, right? That if you think about the kinds of, of innovations that we're seeing today, it's not just, we're not taking out one piece and replacing it with another. It's we're rewiring what that value proposition is, right? So if you compare if I go back you know, to education, Phoenix University or the early version of what Coursera was supposed to be, right? Like, oh, you just do your classes online versus today, people are plugging in these virtual courses into school curriculum, right? Universities like Dartmouth are collaborating with Coursera, right? So the whole relationship of what it is we're trying to do and how we create value has changed, right? And we can think about you know, what that means from a speaker's perspective as well, which is how do your ideas, how do your collateral plug into other things that the organizers and the sponsors are trying to accomplish, right? And that's that's different from just, you know, I take one speech out and put a new speech in or take one speaker out and put a new speaker in.
0: So, you know, you use this term ecosystem when you're talking about the way all these things are intertwined and interrelate in this new world. But. Ecosystem, come on, Ron, that can be sort of a fluffy term that people throw around. You use it a little differently. What do you mean by ecosystem in business?
1: Ecosystem is is today like you can't have a conversation with, you know, a businessy type and not have that word come up 18 times. Um, And I, you know, 95 plus percent of the time, if you took that word out of the conversation and you put in the word mishmash, you wouldn't lose a lot of meaning. (laughs) Right. So that's a little bit of a quip, but I I think it's basically what that signals is one, that people know that there's stuff that's changing and that it's non-traditional. So we're using this word, but the fact that you can use mishmash as a synonym is also suggestive of we're desperate for now, now that I recognize that everything's connected, what do I do about it other than be overwhelmed? So the core in my work is the, the, the concept kind of defining the concept of an ecosystem is the first thing for me. You know, an ecosystem is defined by the partners that come together and the structure through which they come together to deliver a value proposition to the end consumer, right? So that's my one sentence definition. And the three key components that it highlights are, one, that it is anchored in a value proposition, right, that you have to start with. So what's the value that we are trying to create? And two is this we notion of it, right? Separate from your contribution as an individual or an individual organization, who are the partners that you're collaborating? With? And the third is this notion of structure. How are things coming together in this collaboration? And the the reason this notion of ecosystems is becoming more vocal, more salient is because we're seeing, we have a lot more uncertainty today or you know, if you want to be positive about it, you'd say there's a lot more opportunity for innovation for what that structure looks like. Like who's, who's supposed to be doing what, right? Who's, who's supposed to be creating a relationship with an audience, right? Is it, you know, in the past you of show up, you'd give a speech. And now it's like, well, can I create, you know, can I find people for my mailing list or, you know, can I, can I, you know, what additional content beyond the speech or, or my book can i be pitching to these people whether it's 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 technology pieces or video pieces and how does all that cohere within the context of the conference that i'm participating
0: so that actually is why i wanted to have you on the show cuz as i've been reading your books and 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 studying what you talk about the meetings industry has really become this giant ecosystem where speakers aren't a plug-and-play type thing as much as maybe they were 10 years ago or 15 years ago. It's not just, oh, I need a keynote speaker. Meeting planners are You know, coming in with a different set of expectations. They want you to do videos in advance. They want to know if you can do uh, a webinar afterwards. They want you to stay on place. No longer is it, hey, the greatest speakers are the ones who can be at the airport 15 minutes after saying thank you very much. They want you to stick around and and have a, a special VIP session or something like that. So, the ecosystem is that, but it's not just the speakers. It's it's the venue, it's the caterers, it's the it's the sponsors and the, and the vendors, it's the individuals in the audience, and audiences are no longer passive. Audiences want you to be interactive as a speaker. So as we look at the meetings industry as this ecosystem and these changes and expectations from the audience and the organizers, when it comes to strategy, where does a speaker even
1: start, Ron? The first thing is to recognize this and then take a deep breath and not feel overwhelmed, right? In the sense that, again, this is either, on the one hand, it means it's more work. The question then is, how do you translate that additional work into something of value to, one, the collaboration, but ideally for you, right? So whether it's you recognize that, all right, all this new collateral, all these new interactions that I am Expected to engage in are actually, you know, they create opportunities for greater stickiness, right? They create opportunities for more word of mouth, more continuity. And the question then becomes all right, so then how are you changing your own activities to be able to benefit from this investment that you're now being forced to make by the environment or you realize are great opportunities to make? You know, part of what what is part and parcel of this notion of ecosystem disruption, right? Part of what it is that's changing the game is that what you're competing with looks really different, right? So again, like traditionally, if there's a certain number of slots at a conference, you know, you're competing with other speakers, right? And the, what's their shape? What's their size? But the, now you're you know you're competing with TikTok videos, right? You're competing. <laughs> With you, there's there's so much other form of getting this information. You're competing with blog posts that are appearing left and right. And so, again, the question is, how do you think about this, whether as a substitute, as a complement, as something that you want to fight or something that, you know, you want to find ways of collaborating? And that, again, that's what puts us in this ecosystem space of needing to revisit not just what we're doing, but the how that connects to the other pieces around us.
0: So that's a great transition to your second tip because your second tip was, you know, how does remote and and new technologies impact what we do and and how we do it? So for the speaker... There have been a lot of changes. I mean, I, I had done a handful of remote keynotes in my life. I'd done some, but I'd done a handful of them before 2020, and now I've done 100 of them. So there's a lot of things that came along the technology path, and we're not seeing those go away. We're still getting calls for, can you do a remote speech, or can you use this new platform that we're using, or whatever. So let's talk about how we use this tech and how that impacts the ecosystem and the, the changes that are going when it comes to our own strategy.
1: for a moment. What's a speaker without a professionally published book? You're still a speaker, but you're most likely less impactful, less profitable, and less widely known. A book reinforces your message, promotes you when you're not there, and boosts your income even when you aren't speaking. You're leaving money and opportunity on the table when you don't publish. If you're worried about the time and hassle involved in writing a great book, leave that to book launchers because we have our hashtag NoBoringBooks process and team of expert professionals to help you take your book from concept to copies to cash flow visit booklaunchers.com today.
0: Let's talk about how we use this tech and how that impacts the ecosystem and the the changes that are going when it comes to our own strategy.
1: So, you know, here what I would say, it depends how how strategic you want to be, right? You're asking me about strategy. So I will tell you, you know, strategy isn't simple, right? That would be just execution or, or, you know, being tactical, right? So when we talk about strategy we're trying to think about you know broadly what is it how is it that we're trying to position but in order to think about your own position you need to think about your context and what is it you're positioning within right so this is you know so you know, i know you, you read the book so the core idea to understand how to respond to ecosystem change is this idea of understanding your own value architecture so you know there's a notion of a value proposition That's like the promise that you're making to your end user. And then there's the work that you do, the activities you do to deliver. And this idea of a value architecture, which I explore in the first chapter of this winning the right game, which is I I only say that because that chapter is posted for free for people to. To read, right? So yeah. this is. And,
0: and and I recommend everybody go read it because it is a great resource that'll get you thinking about strategy.
1: Yeah. So like if you go to my website, ronadner.com, you can just read it there. And what it is, it, it essentially forces you to ask the question of. So as I think about creating my value, what are the buckets that I look at? And the thing about this value architecture is it's not like there's no right or wrong answer to it. It basically is asking you, as the creator. So you know we we know a lot about design thinking, how you're supposed to think from the customer's view to understand the value proposition. This is essentially saying you, as the creator, how do you think about the design of this value proposition? What is it that you're bringing? Like so, what are those buckets? And they could be stories, it could be methodologies. It could be uh, credibility. It could you anyone. Everyone can define that architecture on their own. And the idea is that the, the method that I'm producing this in this book is that once you articulate that architecture, you can then interpret change through it. Right. So again, I'll give you an example from like higher ed. You can say, you know, what does the university do? The university, we kind of we present content we verify learning and then, you know, we certify that learning app, right? So there's a lecture, there's a test, and then there's a degree if you pass the test. That's one way of thinking about what a university does. And when you're then facing a rival like Phoenix University or a Coursera, the question becomes, all right, what is it that they're bringing to the, to the game? What's being impacted here, right? And, and by the way, if you have a poor value architecture, right, your creativity in responding is going to be equally poor, right? So if really what we think you do to the university is, you know, I present content, I verify learning, and I certify, then suddenly, you know, basically, if I can get that same lecture online and I can give you uh, an exam in a monitored place, so I know no one's cheating, then all that matters is the credibility of the certifier. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we had Harvard and MIT launch this initiative called called edX, and they're like, we'll give you a certificate. Well, suddenly you're in serious trouble if that's your architecture. So what do you do? So you can either think, how do I improve on each one of these elements? How do I do better lectures, get better tests? That seems like a path of diminishing returns. (laughs) Or you can think about, well, how do I revisit this architecture? What are other elements that I can bring in? So you might say, you know what, even if the content becomes generic, the value I create is I design a curriculum. I tell you which lectures to attend. Or you might say, no, there's another element, which is I create a learning environment. Because it's one thing to watch the video, you know, at home on your computer, but it's something else. If you're walking on a campus and going to a classroom and there are other learners around you. But once you start doing that, you start thinking, ah, oh, wait, how do I invest to maximize this? Right? Like, how do I create more space for interaction after class? Really? Like, we debrief what we heard and said. The same sort of thing applies really in any setting, right? So, if, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, what it is that you do as a speaker, right? And again, I think, you know, again, the context matters, right? If you're going into a large conference, that's one context. If you're going into a corporate event, It's a different context. But, you know, the the question to ask is a speed. And again, there's no right or wrong answer, and the answer will depend on who you are and what your strengths are, what your interests are, et cetera. But what are the elements that I'm bringing in? And this is kind of, we're circling back to that point, which is, and what does technology let me do about those elements, right? What does it let me do in terms of leave behind or follow up? Or, you know, to your point, what does it let me do in terms of pre-broadcasting? Right. So that when I when I start, people are already primed for what I'm talking about. In other words, just adding technology is not going to solve anything. But if you know what you're applying it to, I think you, know, you can you, know, you can change the game in a productive way.
0: So when I think about what you're saying and, and taking this into the world of professional speaking, if we just think, oh, I go in and give a speech, number one that doesn't get you very far because there's a just a lot of competition and 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 that vertical is what it is but if you go in thinking I go in and help transform the whole ecosystem of what this event is about then you start going in saying well what else does that mean whether it's bringing in technology whether it's doing more before or after but it also comes down to what is it that you're providing that nobody else Can provide. You're creating what Joe Calloway, a famous member of uh, the National Speakers Association, his famous book was called A Category of One. And I read that book like 20 years ago, and it changed everything that I did in the speaking business because my strategy was I'm not just a speaker. In my case, I, I called myself the conference catalyst because I talked about networking, but I used the conference as the human laboratory. And I was the first person that I knew of doing it in that manner, and so what I did is my strategy was to create that category of one around my strengths, my content, and giving the whole ecosystem, without knowing that term at the time, something different, and I think that's really what you're telling speakers to do, is you've got to you've got to expand from I show up, give a speech, and get to the airport to how do I impact everything that touches this meeting.
1: Yeah, exactly, and, and what I would say is this, like, this value architecture methodology is essentially, so how do I define that category but it's, it's exactly towards this goal of how do I create more unique value? Uh, and then, look, you know, you're always going to be faced with and How do I get recognized? <laughs> but, you know, part of it is delivering, right? Showing that you can deliver it consistently, right? I mean, look, I, I know, you know, on, on, on the, there used to be this big debate about do you allow your speeches to be posted on YouTube? Right. It's like, well, if they can see me on YouTube, then why would they invite me? And, you know, I I, I think general consensus today is if they saw you on YouTube and feel like they didn't need they don't no no longer need to invite you, then you're probably not going to get them. You weren't going to get the invitation anyway.
0: Well, I mean the 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 classic example of that was the Grateful Dead, right? Everybody, all the music companies said everybody ha- can't record. And the Grateful Dead went around and said, Get out your phones, bring recorders, record us. And people worried, and I think I think Buffett did this too, you know, with letting everybody record it. And they're like the record companies were like, No, they won't buy the albums. No, they got it home and the recordings weren't very good. Then they bought the albums and sales went through went through the roof. And I, I kind of agree. If if people watch me online you know, if that's not saying, oh, let's bring them in. The content alone isn't enough to be a speaker today. I think.
1: Yeah, or if it is, then showing it online is, again, just like you're saying, you know, bootlegs from the Grateful Dead. I want to see it live. I want to be able to ask the question and get you know more of a custom experience. You need to decide what it is that you're trying to do. Kind of how do you define what your your category of one is? I think the for me, what this, this value architecture idea has been a very productive approach to articulate. All
0: right. So if someone's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I agree with what, you know, Ron Adner is saying and, 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 and the conversation he's having with Tom, but thinking strategically scares me. Where does someone start? Who's not naturally a strategic thinker? How do, how do we, how do we, you know, come up with that, you know, wide lens, if you will?
1: Well, I mean, that's why I wrote these books, right? In (laughs) some ways I try to figure out how to say it in a way that doesn't sound self-serving, but (laughs) The, you know, the real reason that I wrote these books are to introduce this body of work. Right? So, look, my day job is I'm not a, a, a keynote speaker, right? I'm a professor at, at, at Dartmouth. I, I spend a lot of time, you know, working on research in the strategy arena, right? And the, the context that I study are these st- contexts where interdependence is being redefined. And so these two books, The Wide Lens, Winning the Right Game, are both a, an attempt to introduce a new approach to thinking about strategy, right? So it's not just, you know, there, there's a reason, okay, how do I say this? There are different bodies of thought about how to approach strategy. And I would make a very strong argument that the bulk of strategic thinking was based in trying to explain competition and success In a world of very well-defined industries, we talked about in the beginning, this idea of, you know, you're still selling the same thing, but the way you make it is different. Or how do you think about competitors who try to do the same thing you're doing? Whereas I think a lot of the action today is in this world of ecosystems. And so just to say, you know, even if you're good at strategy, if it's old school strategy, it doesn't prepare you well for making decisions in this new ecosystem context. Um, so if the question is, you know, how do I think strategically about these ecosystems, then, you know, my invitation is, you know, read these books. And it, you know, as you said, the first chapters of both are free online. Like, you know, what's your excuse for not making yourself smarter by reading this? And then if you're intrigued, you know, go to the library and borrow it for free. I don't make, I don't make my money from book sales. Right. right. I do this to share a lot of intense thinking over 20, 25 years. Because my my hope is that it actually you know that it, it can help folks.
0: Well, and I will say that that winning the right game that that first chapter just it, it it engrossed me and it got me thinking about how this applies to the business of speaking, which is why I wanted to invite you here today. So, Ron Adner, thank you so much for being a guest on Speakernomics. Any any final words for for
1: speakers out there? I would just say content matters more than ever. Right, as the world has become more complicated right? Helpful ways of thinking are only more valuable. So knowing what to say and knowing how to share it in a compelling way, to me, this seems like a big growth industry. So... You know, even if, you know, times go up and down, you know, I think there's reason for optics.
0: I agree. I think the world of speaking is a growth industry, and I think we're still going to have some disruption, uh, and we just have to figure out how to plug into the ecosystems that each of us individually serve. So again, thank you so much for being here, and thank you to everybody who tunes in every week and listens to Speakernomics. This podcast keeps growing. I love it when I get emails from people, uh, both from the National Speakers Association, because this is the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. But also from people who aren't, who say that they're finding little nuggets and theories and ideas every single week. So let me know if you love the show. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you Apple. I guess it's the Apple Podcast Store. Now it's not iTunes anymore. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, Joy, leave those reviews. And then make sure you join us here every single week for more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to build a better business and make more money as a professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast: speak.